Welcome to episode 183 of This Week in Linux, recorded live on January 29th, 2022. From the Destination Linux Network, I'm Michael Tunnell. If you're new to this show, this, is, this show will keep you up to date with what's going on in the Linux world, and I'll give you my take as a 20-year-plus Linux user. On this week's episode, we have some security news, desktop environment news, hardware news, and even some gaming news. All this and so much more coming up right now on your weekly source for Linux Good News. This episode is sponsored by DigitalOcean and by Bitwarden. Before we get started with this week's episode, I just want to let you know there's still some time for the logo contest for both Linux Out Loud and for Linux Saloon. So if you'd like to send in a logo design concept for uh, Linux Saloon or Linux Out Loud, you will find links in the show notes to do that. And also Linux Saloon, the next episode is going to be happening tonight right after, not right after this show, but pretty soon after this show. So uh, at 8 p.m. U.S. Eastern Time. So check it out tonight, the Linux Saloon. And if you would like to submit a design for the logo for that show or Linux Out Loud, links in the show notes. Uh, first in the show this week, we're going to talk about a vulnerability that was discovered. It's some negative news, but I wanted to get it out of the way because there's a lot of cool stuff to get to. But this is an important thing to discuss. So the security company Qualys has uncovered a pretty dangerous memory corruption vulnerability in Polkett's uh, PK exec. Uh, package. This is the CVE 2021-4034. Now, Polkit, uh, formerly known as PolicyKit, is a systemd SUID root program. It's installed by default in pretty much every major Linux distribution, and this uh, vulnerability is easy to exploit, unfortunately. And with it, an ordinary user can gain full root privileges on a vulnerable computer by exploiting this vulnerability in its default configuration. So just as it comes by default. As Qualys wrote in its brief description of the problem, this vulnerability is an attacker's dream come true. So how bad is it? Well, it's bad because uh, PKExec is installed by default on all the major Linux distributions. Uh, Qualys has exploited Ubuntu, Debian, Fedora, and CentOS in their testing, and they say that there are probably other distributions that are also exploitable. Uh, PX PKExec has been vulnerable since its creation in May 2009, so not great. An unprivileged local user can exploit this vulnerability to get full root privileges. Now, to be clear... I want to make sure it's it's known that this is a vulnerability, and it's a pretty bad vulnerability. It's got a rating of like 7.8 by Red Hat, uh, but it's not higher than that because it is it's not an attack vector. It doesn't allow you to get into the system. You have to get in another way. So the attacker would have to break in from some from another method and then use this as a vulnerability to uh, elevate their privileges. So it is very bad, but it's not a a way in instantly. So although this vulnerability is technically a memory corruption, it is exploitable pretty much instantly and also reliably uh, based on how the testings have been, have been shown as results. And last but not least, it's exploitable even if the Polkit daemon itself is not running. Now, 
most of these distros that are affected have, well, pretty much all the ones that use it, have uh, mitigated this already by releasing a patch. If you are using a distribution that has not released a patch yet, you can also run a command, which I'll have in the show notes, to mitigate the, the issue, which will just basically turn off its ability to do certain things. Uh, and if, you have, if you're running a distro that does have the patch, like any of the major distros, whether it's Ubuntu or uh, Fedora, Red Hat, OpenSUSE, SUSE, any of these will have the patch already available to you. You just need to upgrade your system. So, of course, be sure to upgrade your system as soon as possible to make sure that you get this uh, solution solved. If you'd like to learn more about this uh, problem and also learn more about how it works, I'll have links in the show notes below. Up next in the show, KDE has made the beta release available for those who would like to help beta test the next version of KDE Plasma. And this is version 5.24. Again, this is a beta, so if you want to check it out, you can, but I also want to mention that I'm only going to be covering some of the highlights of this release, and then on the week of February 8th, which is the planned release date, then I will cover the release in more depth. I just wanted to talk about some of the stuff that's coming because it's all it's really cool and I can't wait. But also, if you want to check it out, I'll have it uh, have it available to you. Try to beta testing with links in the show notes. And 5.24 is also going to be the next LTS release, which will replace the 5.18 release. So that's great. And this has a lot of updates in this latest version. So there's a variety of system tray and widget improvements and improvements to the KDE system settings, discover improvements, which I I'm excited to talk about in the next version, next episode I cover it. Uh, there's also a lot of other cool things like some changes to Wayland. We have a lot of changes to Wayland. For example, the DRM leasing support for VR headsets will be included, multi-monitor improvements, window handling improvements, and also supporting higher bit depths and so much more. Plus, there's also the KWIN overview effect, which is being added to the next version of Plasma, which is awesome. So for those who don't know what that means, it's effectively taking the present windows effect and the desktop grid effect and combining them into one so you have both of those things available, plus also a search to be able to activate uh, applications and whatnot inside of this single overview system. It's kind of similar to how it works with uh, the GNOME overview. And so I'm ex super excited to play around with that. Also, uh, Plasma 5.22 also introduces much anticipated support for fingerprint readers to unlock the screen, to authenticate in apps, and also to authenticate with sudo on the command line. Plus, so much more. And if you'd like to learn more, I'll have a link to the beta release for 5.24 in the show notes. And of course, I'll cover in much more depth in a future episode. Up next in the show is some window manager news going from desktop environment to window manager, and that is Sway 1.7 has been released. For those unfamiliar with Sway, it is a tiling window manager made for Wayland. You can think of it as an i3-inspired window manager for Wayland. This latest version of 1.7 offers better zero-copy direct scanout support thanks to making use of the DMA DMA buff feedback protocol, which is basically to improve the support for full screen windows. And also for those who have virtual reality head mounted displays, you can now use the support for Wayland's DRM leasing protocol in Sway 1.7 so you can tile your windows in VR. If that is practical in any way, I have no idea, but I'm very curious if anybody wants to try that, let me know in the comments if you do. 
Sway 1.7 also now allows tabs to be dragged with the mouse, which makes it improved improved experience for those who like to have a combination of like floating tiles and regular and regular tiling and that kind of thing. And if you use NVIDIA graphics and are interested in using Sway, you will need to use the TAC uh, TAC unsupported TAC GPU parameter for enabling the G the NVIDIA uh, drivers for the GPUs. As the name suggests, it's not supported by Sway. Uh, but this is interesting because this is a new parameter, which is actually a renaming of a the same function with a different name. So now that NVIDIA is supporting the GBM API with their proprietary driver stack instead of the EGL streams they used to insist on, the Sway developers have decided to come up with a nicer way of describing this option to enable support for NVIDIA. Now it is the unsupported GPU uh, parameter as compared to the previous name of the my next GPU won't be NVIDIA option. So there's that. <laughs> Which is uh, nice for NVIDIA, I suppose, for they're, them changing the name for that. So if you want to check out more about Sway 1.7, links in the show notes. Up next in the show, let's continue the talk about NVIDIA because NVIDIA might be abandoning the $40 billion ARM bid that they announced last, uh, actually 2020. So NVIDIA has like been reported from Bloomberg News that they might be uh, quietly preparing to abandon its $40 billion acquisition of ARM, the British chip designer. And the deal has faced, you know, pretty close scrutiny from regulators all around the world. Uh, some people are worrying about it would maybe give NVIDIA an unfair advantage in the semiconductor industry. So it's been there's been a lot of talk about them not getting the permission to actually do the purchase. So there's a p the potential that NVIDIA might just pull out of the buy. Now, there's also reports that if that does happen, there might be an IPO for ARM instead or initial public offering. So that'll be interesting to see what happens going in the future. If you'd like to learn more about this, I'll have a link to the uh, Bloomberg News uh, report about this in the show notes. This episode of This Week in Linux is brought to you by DigitalOcean. Now is the perfect time to dive into the DigitalOcean. Their new app platform service helps you build modern cloud-native apps for way less money. With App Platform, you can build, deploy, and scale apps and static websites faster and easier than ever using a simple, intuitive interface. You simply point the App Platform to your GitHub or GitLab repository and let it do all of the heavy lifting for you, whether you're using Node.js, Python, Go, PHP, Ruby, static sites, Docker, or container images, all of this is supported by the App Platform. And by running the App Platform on their own infrastructure, DigitalOcean keeps your cost significantly lower than with other products. Plus, it's built on top of DigitalOcean's Kubernetes, providing a smoother migration path so you can take more control of your infrastructure setup. And a listener of the, as a listener of This Week in Linux and a member of the DLN community, you can get started building your world-changing app with their app platform for free. Actually, it gets better than free because DigitalOcean is giving you a $100 free credit when you go to do.co slash DLN. Again, go to do.co slash DLN to get started with your $100 free credit on DigitalOcean's app platform. We want to thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of This Week in Linux. Up next in the show, SUSE has announced the 1.0 release of Rancher Desktop. Rancher Desktop is a Kubernetes and container management solution on the desktop, and it is an open source application. So Rancher Desktop runs Kubernetes and container management on your desktop, so you can choose the version of Kubernetes you want to run. You can build, push, pull, and run container images using either Containerd or Moby slash Docker D. And it also makes it e like the whole point of this is to make it easy to get started with Kubernetes on your desktop because doing so can be a hassle at some to say the least, especially if you want to match 
the version of Kubernetes you run locally to the one you run in production on a server. So the goal of Rancher Desktop is to simplify that process. And it does so by making it um, possible to choose a preference in the settings. So you can choose your container runtime. You can configure the system resources for the virtual machine uh, running. You can also reset Kubernetes or Kubernetes and the container runtime to default with just a push of a button. It makes it a lot easier to get started with trying out Kubernetes if you've never done it before. So if you want to learn more about Rancher Desktop 1.0, I'll have links in the show notes. Up next in the show, let's talk about the latest version of Wine. Last week, we talked about the release of Wine 7.0, which means the the now development releases of the next series is underway. And this week sees the release of 7.1. Typically, I wouldn't be covering a point release so quickly, but this is not an ordinary point release. Wine 7.1 brings theming fixes, WebSocket improvements, various bug fixes, and more. But the biggest thing is that Wine 7.1 is having support for Vulkan 1.3 that was also released this week. So this is a big jump for the next version of Wine, and also it might be something to look forward to with Proton, because Proton is said to be releasing a rebasing on the next version of Wine pretty soon. And if you'd like to learn more about this latest version of Wine 7.1, I'll have links in the show notes. And speaking of Vulkan 1.3, it has been released, so let's talk about what's new in this release. So Vulkan 1.3 is another point release that's much more than a point release. The Cronus Group released new major versions of Vulkan every two years, and this is one of those major versions. Why they decided to do the 1.3 versus, you know, 1.2, then 1.3, I don't know. But that's how they do it. Open source drivers uh, from Intel and AMD were also ready day one support for Vulkan 1.3, which is awesome because, you know, go back in the, the couple years ago, there's a period of where you'd wait for weeks, maybe even months to get support for different you know, hardware support in the kernel. And now day one, which is awesome. So Vulkan 1.3 moves more extensions to core support and also introduces a new profiles concept. For those unfamiliar with Vulkan, Vulkan is a low overhead cross-platform API. Uh, it's also an open standard for 3D graphics and computing. So Vulkan targets high-performance, real-time 3D graphics applications, such as video games. It, it's not just video games, but it most of the time is used in reference to video games. It provides a considerably lower level API and parallel tasking for the application compared to uh, Max Metal or Windows uh, Direct3D 12. And Vulkan is also designed to allow developers to better distribute work among multiple CPU cores to provide a better balance of performance and resource usage. Now, this latest release of Vulkan 1.3 has over 20 extensions that have been promoted to core support, such as most notably the Dynamic Rendering, Dot Products, KHR Synchronization 2, and some extensions around a buffer device addresses, among others. Now, that's another thing that's really interesting about this release is that the Vulkan profile specifications allows for easily outlining specific extensions and other requirements expected for Vulkan implementations, such as Google driving more fine-grained expectations of Vulkan drivers on their platforms, such as Android. So the first official profile is Google's Android Baseline 2021 profile for specific features above Vulkan 1.0 that are expected to be found in the vast majority of Android devices. They also make it easier for uh, developers to make it like using a, a Vulkan SDK with a JSON based profile. So to make it make it easier for checking if the uh, driver or the system meets a given profile and making the changes 
to address those, which is awesome. Plus, in this latest release, the Kronos Group announced a new roadmap to guide with focusing support on today's modern high-end graphics processors. Part of the roadmap changes that the Vulkan Working Group is now beginning to impact silicon design for future GPUs down the road, which can be awesome and have a lot of improvements, you know, going in the future for the next versions of the GPU series and also greater long-term planning regarding the Vulkan API. If you'd like to learn more about Vulkan 1.3 or just Vulkan in general, links in the show notes. This week's episode of This Week in Linux is sponsored by Bitwarden. Get started right now with your free account at bitwarden.com slash DLN. Bitwarden is an awesome password manager that allows you to have peace of mind knowing that your online accounts are secure. How does it do it? Well, Bitwarden provides you with tools to store all of your passwords in a secured vault, auto-generate those passwords, and also even automatically fill in passwords on login forms so you don't have to do any of this stuff. Plus, you can have access across many different types of devices, whether it's your web browser, mobile apps, desktop application, or even on the command line. Bitwarden seals and encrypts your private data with end-to-end encryption before it ever leaves your devices, so you know you're the only person with access to your data, which is one of the most important pieces for me to make to know that I have, I can rest sure that the encryption is being done locally on my devices. So go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started and make the move like many from the community have and check out their account, especially since it starts at less than a dollar per month. You can get free, of course, but there's also the premium account, which is less than a dollar per month, which has a lot of cool extra features. For example, one gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F, Duo, Vault Health Reports, Bitwarden Authenticator for temporary one-time passwords, Priority Customer Service, and so much more. You get all of this, plus Bitwarden Send, uh, just so much cool stuff that is less than a dollar per month. That's right. For less than a dollar per month, you get all of this, and you can have peace of mind knowing that your passwords and other sensitive data is just is safe to have. And it's just, I'm such a huge fan of Bitwarden. Also, I didn't even mention the fact that it's open source software, which is another fantastic reason to check out Bitwarden. So go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started. And thanks again to Bitwarden for sponsoring This Week in Linux. Up next in the show, we have some hardware news with the Desk Mini UM700 PC with Manjaro Linux. So Manjaro has teamed up with Mini's Forum to offer a small but still very capable system with the Desk Mini UM700. Basically, it's the Elite Mini UM700 from Mini's Forum, but with Manjaro Linux instead of Windows. So I'll have a full list of, of the specifications and links to the store if you want to check out more details about it. But really quick, we have the CPU, which is an AMD Ryzen 7 3750H with four cores and eight threads. The GPU is Radeon RX Vega 10 graphics, and there's a variety of ports, especially with the small form factor. There's an RJ45 2.5 gigabit Ethernet port, as well as one USB uh, three uh, type a port and also USB-C port as well and there's the HDMI support and display port support which I prefer display port but you know it depends on what you ne- your needs are and that kind of thing and what kind of monitor slash you know TV or whatever you're connecting it to might may or may not have display port support but if you can use display port do that because it's, it's definitely better uh, also it has it comes with an audio jack which is nice uh, there's this price starts at 469 so with that price you get the base model of one of a eight gigabyte ram and 256 gigabyte ssd and it supports up to 64 gigabytes of ram and up to two terabytes of storage and this price is actually a discounted launch price and it will go up to uh, 599 at some point we don't know exactly when but 
if you want to check it out now, it will still be the 469 as of this recording. Also with this product, you get, well, if you're one of the first 1,000 orders, you get a free copy of Crossover. So Crossover is really cool because Crossover is made for making Windows applications and Windows games work on Linux, similar to Wine and similar to, similar to Proton, as you might be thinking. And the reason is that is the developers who make Wine and Proton also make Crossover. Crossover is like the commercial version of Wine. So if you want to support Proton or Wine, you can actually purchase Crossover, which will go will help fund the development of the other ones because the Code Weavers team are the developers and work a lot on all three of those things. So it's just depending on like the configuration of why this why there's different, you know, one specifically for gaming, one's more of like working on making support uh, for commercial services and that sort of stuff. And then there's also wine, which is like the base layer for everything. So that's why there's different versions, but it's really awesome. So if you want to get crossover, you can help support the development for all of it by helping support Code Weavers. Now, also this device, this mini forums, uh, Desk Mini UM700 is very similar to the device Valve mentioned for developers to get having something comparable to the Steam Deck prior to receiving a dev kit. So this is maybe something you might wanna check out if you are a developer and you wanna work on some games for Steam Deck. And if you'd like to learn more, I'll have links in the show notes below, but also, Miniform sent us a review unit to test out. So Ryan and I, uh, Ryan from Destination Linux and Hardware Addicts, will be reviewing the uh, hardware from the hardware perspective of the mini PC, and I'll be doing a review that's kind of like the out of the box user experience perspective. So if you want to uh, make sure you don't miss those, you can find links in the show notes for how to describe for both channels. And speaking of Valve, we have some news related to the Steam Deck. So launching on February 25th is that they will be sending out the first batch of order emails to uh, reservation holders. Customers will have three days or 72 hours from receipt of their email to make their purchase before the reservation is released to the next person in the queue. So if you reserved it for the $5 and are in the early batch of the queue, you can really quickly get it. And they say that units will be on their way to customers starting the 28th. Now, there's really no telling where you're in the queue because they don't really say very clearly. Like mine says that I'm in like quarter, uh, the end of quarter two. And I don't know exactly when that is. Maybe that's midsummer. I don't know when they're what they're trying to describe it because they're they're very vague about it. So hopefully that was just like a you know a rough placeholder, and I'm higher in the queue because I did get it within like the first hour of it going live. But it, there was also some like downtime with the site. You couldn't actually purchase it because there's so many people trying to do it. And anyway. I'm looking forward to it, and they say that they plan to release uh, new order email batches on a weekly basis. Uh, And also, in addition, they say that they're sending out units for full review shortly. Press review embargo on the Steam Deck coverage will lift on February 25th, so expect to see a bunch of press coverage. And you can also keep an eye out for some uh, preview coverage as well as that, because there's they're allowing people to do some kind of like you know some preview videos and things like that. So this is really cool. Uh, they also say that they're going to be, um, you know, re- releasing out more stuff at the end of next month, and uh, they're going to be doing some more stuff continuously about, you know, keeping people updated with the reservations and that sort of thing. So if you have the Steam Deck or as a reservation for the Steam Deck, you may get an email fairly soon, or more likely not, considering how, like, they haven't said how many shipments they're actually going to be sending per batch. But, you know, cross your fingers, you know, I hope it's going to be soon (laughs) 
because I know they're going to be going through. They're going to be releasing out through the whole year. <sighs> Summer's probably. I'm, I'm probably going to have to wait till summer. Unfortunately. If you'd like to learn more about the Steam Deck and how long you have to wait, <laughs> you can check the links in the show notes. Up next in the show, we're going to continue with some more Valve news with the Dynamic Cloud Sync service. This is a new feature for the Steam Deck and PC, and this new feature is going to be really, really awesome. This allows players to seamlessly move between the Steam Deck and a PC, various instances of the game, without needing to worry about the exiting the game on the Steam Deck, for example. So they say that we anticipate that users will frequently suspend their Steam Deck without exiting the game as is common with other handheld gaming devices. With the Dynamic Cloud Sync, if they then choose to play on another device, whether it's a PC or another Steam Deck, their progress will be there waiting for them, which is very, very cool. Uh, So with the Dynamic Cloud Sync, Steam will automatically upload all modified save game data to the cloud prior to the device entering sleep mode. Users can then resume their game on any PC, laptop, or other device. Steam will also automatically download any save game changes when the users return to their Steam Deck and wake up the device. So it will just basically just constantly be in sync. Now, this is very, very awesome, but it's not going to be available in all games. The feature is free to use for developers, but it's not automatic. So developers must manually enable it on their games in Steamworks to take advantage of these new APIs to make the the dynamic cloud sync work. Hopefully, every game that's uh, verified for the Steam Deck does that. But if you'd like to learn more about this new feature, I'll have links in the show notes. Up next in the show is an app called Gameubuntu, which is to improve gaming on Ubuntu, which makes sense that that's the name and that's what it does, right? So this latest version is a completely rewritten version of the of the application Gameubuntu to give people a variety of options to install what they want for their gaming setup. So the goal of this application is to make it easier to have a different kernel, uh, install certain applications for gaming and things like that because you know gaming on Ubuntu is not the easiest solution to set up because it's not really the gamer centric. Uh, distribution. Uh, there's for a variety of reasons for that, but mostly it's because of the kernel updates and things like that. Like the Mesa drivers get updates usually every six months and maybe even longer, depending on you know how long it takes for the different point releases and that sort of stuff. And as far as the hardware enablement st- stack, uh, but you know there are also derivatives like Pop OS that do you know faster. But this is mostly around for the Ubuntu base at itself. So. Uh, this latest release of uh, Gameubuntu makes it possible to choose between uh, four different launchers, which are Steam, Heroic, uh, Mini Galaxy for GOG games, uh, Lutris, and it also has the ability to change your kernel for two different kernels. You can have the option for the low latency kernel or the Xan mod kernel. And it gives you options to install multiple tools, uh, up to 10 tools so far, like Game Mode, uh, G-Overlay, Mango HUD, uh, OpenRGB, Piper, and many, many more. It also gives you access to easily install uh, Discord and OBS Studio for those who want to stream, and uh, many, many options. And they also have a forum thread on the Ubuntu forums if you would like to suggest uh, what you would want them to, ha- to add into this particular application because they are taking suggestions right now. So I'll have a link in the show notes for that. And if and just a quick thing, I think this is really cool to make it improve for people who are using Ubuntu. There are other distributions that get stuff faster to ha- be able to a- access different kernels and you know get those applications in there faster. But Ubuntu does need this. So I'm really happy to see this effort being done. So well done to the developer of Game Ubuntu. If you'd like to check it out, 
Links in the show notes. Thanks for watching this episode of This Week in Linux. If you like what I do here on this show, please like that smash button and be sure to subscribe. If you'd like to support the show, we have multiple ways to contribute. You can do so via Patreon, sponsors, and many others. You can become a patron by going to tuxdigital.com slash contribute. And if you become a patron, you can join me during the live stream in the recording stadium to discuss stuff between topics or just hang out every week after the show in the patron-only post-show. You can also support the show by ordering the Linux Civil t-shirt or the This Week in Linux shirt that I'm wearing right now at dealinstore.com. Plus, we have a bunch of other stuff there like hats, mugs, hoodies, stickers, so much more, even desk mats now. So much cool stuff because we changed the vendor we're using now, and I'm really happy about the change. So if you want to check it out, dealinstore.com. If you'd like some more podcasting goodness from me, then check out the latest episodes of Destination Linux and Hardware Addicts as I'm a co-host of both of those shows on the network. And just a reminder, this show is live every Saturday at 1 p.m. Eastern or 1800 UTC. So join us in the live chat room to discuss all the latest Linux news each and every week by going to dealinlive.com. Thanks again for watching. I'm Michael Tunnell with the Destination Linux Network, and I'll see you next week for another episode of your weekly source for Linux good news.